All right, we'll be out of Matthew 16. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be out of Matthew 16, starting from verse 13. Just a little bit of context. Jesus is going to tell us how he's going to build his church. He promises, I will build my church. This is a promise, absolute promise. And we'll focus mainly out of verse 18 and 19, but verses 13 and 17 will give us good context as we uh, focus in on 18 and 19. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to them or your devices. And let's rise as we honor our Lord's word by rising up. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. God's word says, Now when Jesus came into the district, district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Verse 20. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this treasure that we have in our hands. Thank you. Help us to see your son more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please have a seat. Verse 13 says, now, anytime you see the word now, there's a transition there. Now, the changing of gears. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, there it is. What's happening here with Jesus and the disciples? Jesus and the disciples have been going through a lot of challenging things. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been teaching parables. Jesus has been taking on the Pharisees. The Pharisees have been confronting the disciples. John the Baptist, the, the beloved John the Baptist, has been executed. So there's a lot of hard things going on right now. But it says now. There's a transition. Jesus is kind of taking the disciples on a retreat. And Caesarea Philippi, I've been there. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. All right, and this is a, it's a picture that I, a couple pictures that I took when I was there. It's the countryside. This is a countryside, and uh, it's at the foot of Mount Hermon, the real original Mount Hermon, not the one in Santa Cruz, but the one in Israel. And all this water is from the snow melt of Mount Hermon. There's streams, beautiful streams. It's a peaceful place. It's away from all the action, even today. It's a very quiet, calm place. And why was it so calm and quiet for the disciples? Because they were away from the Jewish world. This is a predominantly Roman-influenced uh, area at the time. And the disciples were discouraged. They were discouraged. They'd been with Jesus for approximately two years. Right? They left their businesses. They left their way of life. They even probably left some relationships, left some family commitments to follow Jesus. It's been two years now. And, 
and perhaps some of their false messianic expectations have been dashed. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought we were going to rule with you. How come the religious rulers aren't for you? Like, I, did we just side with the unpopular group? In a sense, yes. And so how is this going to happen, Jesus? Did we sign up for the wrong team? I mean, keep in mind, the Jewish rulers were against them. I mean, this is a significant thing. These are Jewish men who grew up under the Jewish religious system. I mean, even the, 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 the pillars of the time were going down. John the Baptist, Jesus said there's no one greater. He's been executed. And they're starting to realize that being a disciple is costly. It's going to cost them. It's, they're starting to realize this. And not only that, they're in this Roman area, and the Roman Empire is going strong. How is our Lord going to establish his kingdom, Right? And here's another picture. This is, I like to call it the Mall of Gods, as if you go into the shopping center, you have different stores and different things. This area has a bunch of different temples, and you can see the drawing. These are different temples that were set up for various Greek or Roman gods, right? And, and they're seeing all this. These, Rome seems strong. The Jews are against us. How's this going to happen? It didn't look good. Their, their choice did not look like it's going to turn out well. So Jesus takes them on this retreat. And as I look at these things, I mean, how does it look today as for Christians in America? And we've had a couple hundred years of, 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 of perhaps Christian cultured nation in America, right? We've had a reprieve where it was perhaps popular or acceptable to be a Christian, have Christian, Judeo-Christian values. For a couple hundred years, it was like that. But it's no longer popular to be a Christian in our country. Amen? There's opposition. Our values are ridiculed. Or you can see how the Supreme Court is ruling on certain things, even just within the last couple weeks. Certain things of morality. I mean, the, mo the momentum of immorality is catching speed like crazy as if it's running down a steep hill. You know, we don't, we don't believe in a God. Even mentioning the word God is controversial. Even having a Bible is controversial. Many churches are compromising to the world and to culture. And in the secular realm, I mean, politically, this is as polarizing as a time as it's ever been. We understand this. <laughs> we get this. This is what it is. We're not even united as a people group, right? And socially, this is, this is incredible things going on with unrest, and there's hard things going on in our nation. So I think this is a good word for, from our Lord to the disciples back then, even to us today, modern-day disciples in 2020. So today we're going to see how is Jesus growing his church? How is he building his church? This is what we're going to take a look at today. So verse 13 here, I'm going to draw your attention. So Jesus asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He said, who do the popular people say? What does popular opinion say about who I am? This reminds me of an incident I had. I was at this last week, I was at an establishment. I was just having to talk with this great guy. Very noble, very dignified man. And, and we somehow, I don't know how this always happens. We start, we get on the topic of Jesus. Somehow it just happens. And he just he had a lot of respect for Jesus. He goes, I believe Jesus is a prophet. 
And this is exactly what verse 14 says about the popular opinion of the day that they believe that he was John the Baptist or Elijah or some other prophet like Jeremiah. You're, you're a prophet. People see you as a man sent from God who teaches well like no other. But you're still a man. This is what this man says. We honor him. We believe in him. He's a prophet, not God. And so Jesus is the master builder here, and not only is he going to build the church, and he's going to start building up his original disciples here. Verse 15, this is the most important question in all the universe. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? This is the key. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That is the question that we all have to own and to address this cannot be, this is what my parents think. This is not what my pastors think. This is not what my professor thinks. Who do you say that I am? This is the question that you have to own. This answer will determine where you, where you will be in 100 years from now. This is it. This is the question here. And this is the great confession of Peter. Now, we love Peter. We talked about Peter on John 21, and I resonate with Peter. I mean, Peter's life reads like an EKG. There's ups and downs in his life, right? We get it. I mean, I'm like that too. I have moments where I put my foot in my mouth, and my wife could tell you that. And so right now, I mean, he had some downs, right? He's walking on water one moment, and then he starts seeing the wind and the waves, and boom, he starts sinking to the bottom of the lake. One moment, he's saying, I, I, I will never leave you, and then the next moment, he denies the Lord three times. One moment, he's saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and a few verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, this is, the, this is Peter. But this is Peter's high point here. This is Peter's high point. This is one of his high points, and this is what Peter answers. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus asked, who do you say? And Peter steps up. He's the leader of the group and speaks up. The Christ, what does that mean? This is to get to the basics of what, who the Christ is. This is the Greek term for the Messiah. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Savior of the world. And not only that, you're the Son of the living God. You're divine. You're God himself. Bingo. Right? Peter hit the, hit the bullseye. He nailed it. And Jesus commends him and says, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, meaning you didn't come up with this on your own. God the Father graced you with this, and it says, but my Father who is in heaven has allowed you to see this. And so this is the setup now. Jesus kind of, this is the background of verse 18 and 19 now. Peter answers with this divine truth about who Jesus is. More than a prophet, much more than a prophet. He's the creator of all things. He's never been created. And one of the things I just want to talk about before we get into it, verse 18 is this. I've been asked, you know, you know, Rocky, what are your plans to help build up Evergreen? It kind of goes back into my mind as, as a coach. I mean, in my mind, I was preparing to be a head coach someday. I was taking notes. I was like, all right, how, this is how we build a team. I know how to do this. And we have our systems. We have our schemes. We have uh, all kinds of different nutritional things and plans to help but the biggest thing is this. Whenever you build a team is this. Those things are important. But the people that you assemble on that team are the most important thing. 
critical. Absolutely. So we had this blueprint I was kind of designing in my mind and my heart, like, if I ever get a chance, this is how we're going to do it. And but so how are we doing at Evergreen? How's this going to happen at Evergreen? You know, and you know what? I just want us to really focus in on what our Lord says here. It isn't necessarily, Rocky, what are you going to do? It's more like Jesus, the head of the church, what are you doing right now? And this is where verse 18 picks up. And this is good news. It's not me or any other pastors or any church leader that's going to build the church. It's Jesus, the head of the church, is going to build the church. In verse 18, it says this, I also say to you that you are Peter, after commending him, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus promises to build his church. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. That's the good news. He's already doing it. Jesus is doing it. And he goes, I will build my church. This is a definitive statement. This is certain. Jesus basically tells us his role in it. He's doing everything. This is his job. And when, it, when Jesus is church, what is church meant back in Matthew uh, 16 here? Acts Chapter 2 hasn't happened yet, meaning Pentecost hap hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't indwelt the Christians yet. And the church is really birthed, as we know, in that moment. This is pre-Pentecost. So how do the disciples understand this? Church, in a sense, just in the, the Greek term, just ekklesia, just means gathered ones, assembly. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's, he's not really referring to this in the technical sense. Right, as we know it today, he's saying, I will gather my people, is what he's saying. He's putting the emphasis on the people. And as Jewish men, the disciples will realize that this is God's people. All right, so how is Jesus going to do this? And today, the church is universal. Every single Christian that ever walked the earth for, for, in all the history of the world is part of the church. That's the universal church. All right, but locally here, like Evergreen SUV, this is our local church, and so I think that's important how we understand these terms here. But I want to really focus on how does Jesus build his church. This is the essence of what we're talking about today. First point is this: Jesus builds his church by establishing it upon the bedrock of truth. This is how, this is that foundation that Pastor Dan showed us, that box, that square box with a flat foundation that's secure. Verse uh, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Peter, and just kind of, it helps to have, uh, to kind of the sense of the original language. Peter is the name of one of my old teammates, Petros, right? Petros. Petros just means, that's just a Greek word for Peter. That's the, how you say Petro, uh, Peter in Greek. And Petros just means little rock, pebble. That was, that was Peter's name. That's what it meant. So when he says, upon this rock, when this term used rock, the original language says Petra. Petra. Why is that significant? Petra means massive rock, bedrock, huge Cannot move. Not a pebble, not a small stone, but massive bedrock. When he says, I will, upon this rock, upon this massive stone, upon this bedrock, I will build my church. This is that foundation that Pastor Dan was talking about. Now, what is this bedrock of truth? What is this about? Upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is. 
Upon that confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And some people, Catholics in particular, Roman Catholics in particular, considered Peter being the foundation. All right? this is, Peter is not the foundation of the church. All right? Peter is just a man, just like all of us. We have our ups and downs. If, it, if Peter was the foundation of the church, it's like as Pastor Dan talked about, it's like building on that carpet, right? It's bumpy, it's soft, it's squishy. Boom, it's going to fall off. No offense to Peter. We, none of us are the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. The Catholics believe that G, uh, Peter is the first pope. And even that Peter is the head of the church. Today's Pope, Pope Francis, they consider him the head of the church. And he has the same power and same authority that Peter had. And he could speak with ex cathedra. What does that mean? That means he has divine authority to speak equal to Scripture. We don't believe this, obviously. This isn't, the church was not built on Peter. But Peter's related to this. Peter's involved with this. I just want to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying here. Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll be up on your screen as well. But I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. This talks about Peter's role in this, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, all right, talking about the Christians at Ephesus, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. This is talking about the church, every single Christian. Having, here it is, there's that word, having been built, built, right, children, having been built on the foundation of what? Of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, what does that mean? Peter was an apostle. He was, a, he was one of the dis disciples. This is the foundation or the divine truths taught by the apostles and the prophets. Peter's teachings on truth are the foundations of what the church is built on. And keep in mind, during this time of, of uh, Ephesians or even the time of Christ, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. So whatever Jesus taught, whatever the apostles taught, that was the foundational truth that the early Christians went off of. And this is, this is by God's grace, we have in written form now, documented forever. So today, apostles and prophets, the foundation of prophets and prophets is right here in my hands. It's the Bible. This is it. This is the foundation, the bedrock of truth. The church is built upon what the Bible teaches. And then let's keep going here. Verse 20, Jesus Christ of Ephesians, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the keystone here. In whom, what does the keystone do? In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. The church is compared to a temple where Jesus is a key cornerstone. And the cornerstone, Jesus, basically sets the foundation and squares the building. He's everything. So all the truths are fitted according to Christ. All the truths that are taught in the Bible somehow point or lead to Jesus Christ. The Bible is meant to tell us about Jesus Christ. This is it. So 
So it's not a person. It's not, it's not about Peter, a man. But the foundation is about Christ. Now, I want to show this graphic here of what we have here. I love this. This is, this is out of our bulletin, and Sister Irene Marr on staff came up with this and, and put this on our bulletin. I love this. I keep telling her, I love this. You can't do any better than this. This is what our church is about. Every time when we look at our bulletin, you see that it says Jesus, Jesus. And it has different elements of who Jesus is. In his character, in this graphic, he's loving, he's humble, he's gentle, he's merciful. In his nature, he's eternal, he's almighty, he's perfect, he's the light. In his roles, he's a suffering servant, he's the teacher, he's the redeemer, he's the Messiah, he's the good shepherd, he's the high priest, he's the warrior king. He's God, he is Yahweh himself. So this is the Christ that we preach. This is what this is about, church family. Every time we look at the book, we're looking to see how can I learn more about Jesus Christ, the foundation, the cornerstone, the keystone of our church. This is what this is about. So I love this graphic that we have. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, right, and the life. The, John 1 says that he is the word. So Jesus is closely linked to the Bible, the word, the truth. So you read the Bible, it's about Jesus so in no unclear terms, the foundation's about Christ. And the Bible tells us more about our foundation. That's point number one. Point number two, how does Jesus build his church? Jesus builds his church by making it all about him. Let's read uh, verse 18 again. He goes, Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I want to emphasize my church. This is Jesus' church. This is not my church. People will say, hey, Rocky, how's your church going? I get what they're saying. The way I look at it, how's my church family going? But this is Jesus' church. I just happen to work for him. And Jesus is the one who rules this church. And I want, I want to get, take us into a little bit of church history. Back in the 16, uh, 16th century, there was the Great Reformation. Or, over 500 years ago, there was a Great Reformation where the Protestants protested against the Roman Catholic Church. Big, big event. And they're basically protesting that the Pope is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And the Pope does not get to speak the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. There were some massive things that were taking place. And a bunch of uh, reformers met in 1561 in Belgium, and they came up with the Belgic Confession. And out of Article 29, if you want to look it up, they came up with four marks of a true church. I felt like they nailed it. I was studying this as a man. They, these guys hit it. So rather, this is all marks that a, a faithful, a true church will have, whether from North America to Africa, all right? Whether English is spoken or Vietnamese, whether it's La Puente, California, to Wakayama, Japan. These are marks that a true church will have, four of them. Okay, if you want, they'll be up in your notes if you want to look at it online. Number one, the true gospel of Christ is preached. The, the, the reformers believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was about Christ. Faith in Christ. Grace, by the grace of Christ. 
Salvation comes through Christ. Second mark of a true church. The sacraments of Christ are properly administered. What are the sacraments? Well, we take communion every month to remember the, the sacrifice of Christ. Do we administer the sacraments of communion, sacrament of communion in a worthy manner? Are we taking communion in a worthy manner? Is the pastor or the leaders exhorting us to take communion in a worthy manner? Second sacrament that we observe is baptism. All right, do we understand that baptism is basically a public declaration that it's saying that I'm in with Christ to the church family that I love. I'm committed to Christ and I'm asking you to keep me accountable to Christ. That's what baptism is about. It doesn't save you, as some believe, but it's just a symbolic gesture and out of obedience to the Lord to tell everyone in our church family that you are of Christ. And we're working on this. We're working on seeing how we could uh, get baptism going during this time. And so just so you know, our church leadership is talking and praying through this. Third mark of, a, of the true church, church dis- discipline is ministered. What is that? That means if there's a wayward sheep in the church, corporately, like in, 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 in the relational dynamics, People will look to restore them. And then ultimately, it could get to a very corporate, broad level of restoring people to soundness in faith. In essence, this is talking about the holiness of Christ. We take Christ's holiness seriously. Fourth mark of, of the true church is this. They're governed by the word of God. In essence, Christ is the head of the church. And how does Christ rule his church? He mediates his rule through the Bible. That's why you have men who are trained to know the Bible, who are spiritually mature, to teach it and to make sure you, they, we execute what the Bible says in terms of how to lead the church. Christ is the head of the church. John Calvin, one of the famous reformers, said, Christ reigns whenever he subdues the world to himself by the preaching of his word. Let me read that again. John Calvin, Christ reigns, he rules whenever he Jesus subdues the world to himself by the preaching of his word. So in in other words, whenever God's word is central to the church, Jesus rules his people. And so when Jesus says, this is, I'm building my church, Jesus needs to rule the church through the word. And when he says, my church is my people, my people, Jesus' people, obey, study his word and obey his word. The word is absolutely central. Whenever God's word is not central, some other source rules. For example, if it's human wisdom, then human wisdom rules. If it's human knowledge or human philosophy, the ways of the world rules the church. It no longer becomes Christ's church. It becomes the world's church. When culture, cultural tides dominate, then it becomes a, the culture's church. That's why we cannot be light or shallow in the word. We have to go deep. We have to, like, like building that house deep into that foundational stone. We have to go deep. And this is what the danger is. You could gather a lot of people and not have it Christ church. It just becomes a gathering of people, right? This could be a gathering of people. Third point, how does Jesus build his church? Jesus builds his church by making it completely secure. 
Verse 18 here, I'm back to Matthew 18, the, 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 the second part. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is significant. Massive. This picture that I took here from Caesarea Philippi in my visit has this massive crevice. It's a huge cave that goes deep into the, into, into the earth. And they had a temple building erected in front of this crevice. And this is the, was the temple of Pan. And they would basically th throw offerings down into the hole as if they're throwing offering into the gates of hell, all right, to appease these gods. And Pan, who is the god of Pan? It, it was a Roman god with Greek origin. He was basically half god and half man. He, he's, there's caricatures of him that look like he's man and his bottom portion is the body of a goat. So it's like kind of a goat man. Looks like Satan. And he wreaked havoc in the fields. All right, legend has it that he wreaked havoc in the fields, playing his flute, playing music, and whenever you heard that music, you just became terrified. And he attacked flocks and their shepherds. Interesting, huh? He attacked the flocks of the fields and the shepherd. And this word pan is the root where we get the word for panic. Panic. And this demon god Pan is still lurking around today. His name is Fear. That's what we call him today, Fear. And anything that influences more than Jesus is, is a root of fear. And the Romans, they sacrifice things to appease Pan. We do the same thing today. We sacrifice things. We sacrifice our peace of mind. We sacrifice doing important things that the Lord tells us to do. We do sacrifice doing what the right things is. We're scared. And we talked about some of these things. They could be relational. It could be the fear of man. We had a whole sermon on that a couple weeks ago. It could be relating success. It could be the fear of failure. I'm, 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 I'm fearful how things are going to turn out, so I'm not going to try. It could be a fear of sickness, fear of death. During this coronavirus time, I, I get it. I mean, we need to be cautious and we need to be smart, but we don't need to be fearful. Church family, we do not need to be fearful. So when, it, when the Bible says the gates of Hades, gates were meant to keep people in. All right, if you got a gate, it's like, it's like jail. I'm kept in. Hades means death, the gates of death. The gates of death cannot overpower my church, Jesus is saying. So why did, the, did Jesus bring the disciples here? More for just rest and relaxation. There was an object lesson here for the disciples. Jesus was telling them, I'm going to prevail over death. You don't have to fear death, disciples. You do not have to fear death, disciples. Death has no victory over us. Let's turn to Romans 8, verse 38. You'll be up on your screen here too as well. Romans 8, 38. Paul writes, For I am convinced that neither death, there it is, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death cannot keep us from Christ. We no longer have to be af afraid. Yes, let's be wise. Let's be smart. 
Let's take the information. But fear has no place. It has no business in the, in the mind and heart of a Christian. There it is. Jesus says the, the gates of death will not overpower it. And so the disciples needed some encouragement. Perhaps we need some encouragement today, right? I mean, the cost of being a disciple was tough. I mean, it's, it's, the disciples were realizing it. Perhaps we're realizing it more, what it means to be a disciple and the cost that it takes. It could alienate us from friends. It could jeopardize our jobs. We could get social media ridicule. Those are real things as being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. This is real. Remember this, fear is the enemy. Fear is the enemy. This is how, even back in the Old Testament, God commands it, Israelites, be strong and courageous, right? Do not tremble or be dismayed. Do not be trembled. Do not be fearful. Be strong and courageous, not in yourself, but in Christ, the foundation stone that we're built on. The church is completely secure in Christ. We don't need to be scared. We don't need to, we don't need to worship Pan anymore. That's over. That's over. Fourth point here, final point here. How does Jesus build his church? Jesus builds his church by giving his authority to us. All right, let's look at verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's authority right there. Jesus gives us his authority. What are keys for? It's to free people, to open, unlock those gates of death so people could be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives us access into heaven. We don't get to act as judge, but we get to tell people the way to get freedom. We get to free people and give, offer hope through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, let's keep going. And he explains more what this means. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What does that mean? Is basically we are able on the authority of Scripture, on the bedrock of truth, to declare if someone's forgiven or not. If you have, you could assure people that you are headed towards heaven based on their confession of who Jesus Christ is. If they say Jesus is Christ, the Son of the God, my Christ, the, my God, you believe this, you repented of your sins. You trusted Christ as your foundation of your life. You built your life upon this rock of who Jesus is. Yeah, no matter how old you are, how sick you are, no matter what the circumstances, upon the authority of Scripture, we're able to say to people, yeah, you, you could rest assured you're headed to heaven. On the other side of it, if they say, no, Jesus is a prophet, Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, I believe I'm a good person, based on the authority of Scripture, not your own authority, based on what God says, Friend, you're headed towards destruction. You need to repent. You need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're building a house on the sand, not on the rock. Right? And where do the keys exist? Is it just for Pastor Rocky, Pastor Dan, Pastor Victor? No, it's wherever the true church exists. Every single Christian in the church has the keys. Every single Christian, whenever you go to an establishment, you talk to someone about Christ, you hold the keys. You hold the keys to unlock the, unlock the gates of death for them so they can enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is where the keys exist. And the church is about hope. We're in the hope business. We never leave people in like, oh, you're headed towards destruction. and Have a nice day. Right? 
You may be headed to destruction right now, but let me give you good news. You could be freed right now if you put your hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're about hope. Amen? This is what we're about. So the keys are the, is, is the gospel message of Christ. Those are the four points that I have for us. Now I want to apply a little bit of, of what we learned right now to our church family here at Evergreen SGV. We know who Jesus is. He is the builder. He is the builder. I'm not the builder. No one is the builder. Jesus is the builder. Therefore, what is our role, right? If Jesus is the builder, what is our role in this whole church business here? Well, church means gathered ones or assembly of people. And this past week, I'm part of a morning Bible study and and I was asked, hey, Rocky, I remember when you were coaching, talk to me about your recruiting days. So as a coach, I'd recruit players to come to our university and play football for us. And they wanted to know, how did that happen? You know, talk to me a little bit about this. I said, sure, let's talk about that. I like talking about those things in our Bible studies and if anyone asks. And in, in, in recruiting, there's so many elements to recruiting. There's academics. There's buildings, there's facilities, there's uh, what type of food you're going to have, what, what about the uniforms, is Nike our sponsor? I mean, there's so many things that you could talk about. What, kind, what is the, the campus like? What is the surroundings of the campus like? There's so many things. But if that's the main appeal, I told the guys, if that is the main appeal, you could attract all the wrong people. Because these people could be coming to our team, our university, for all the wrong reasons. And, I mean, these things we talked about, but they, they weren't the main things. Because quite honestly, if that's the main reason why they wanted to come, they're probably the wrong type of guys for our team. And I told them, you know what, at the end of the day, the foundational emphasis is about football. We wanted guys who love football who are willing to sacrifice their time, their bodies, their, their, their imagination for the sake of the team. This is what we want. This is the type of person that we're looking for, people who love f- football. Now, why do I go and tell us this story? I've been lear- le- reading and listening to stuff online, and there's all kinds of seminars about church growth strategies and all kinds of things like that today. All kinds, all kinds of things. And the appeal is to the non-believer. Oftentimes, these are very man-centered approaches, or the appeal is to the non-believer. And the belief is that people are desperately seeking after God, and somehow if you meet their felt needs, they will come to trust you, and they'll trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's kind of like the approach. And the, the, the deeper approach is the emphasis on strong programming. You've got to make sure you've got a strong program set up. You've got to make sure you have a good website. You have a good app. These are good things and helpful things. Right? I'm not saying these are bad things. There's emphasis, overemphasis on the actual physical building structure. This is our campus. This is what it is. Uh, the keys to uh, attracting people is making sure you have the right music, right type of coffee, Right, right, right type of food, right type of decor. Maybe you have a strong sports program. These are the things that will help build the church, they would say. Maybe even having a central emphasis on marriage or raising children. This is what we're going to be about. This is what we're going to emphasize all the time. 
Maybe some churches are focusing on social issues of the day. This will attract people who are cause-driven. This will help build the church. The problem with that is this. Similar to my football analogy or my recruiting analogy is this. Expectations are not clear. Expectations are not clear. Because think about it. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, who doesn't want a good marriage? Who doesn't want to have good children and good family? Who doesn't want to be blessed at work? Right? Who doesn't want to live as wise people? In a nice, clean, safe environment. Who do, what non-believer doesn't want that? We all want that. These are good things. Just not ultimate things. Right, brothers and sisters? This is not rock. This is sand. This is sand. Ecclesia, church, gathering of people. We could gather a crowd. We could gather a crowd, but we're not gathering Jesus' people. Keep this in mind, this, this question that this person asked me about, my, about our recruiting, and men can build teams, men can build buildings, men can build programs, men can build social groups. This is all possible. I mean, people could do amazing things like that. But only Jesus can build his church, period. Only Jesus can build a church. So what is our role? What is our role? If Jesus is the chief builder and the builder, the only builder, what is our role as Christians here at Evergreen SGV? This is critical that we understand this. Simply put, be faithful. Be faithful. Emphasize the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Emphasize the keys, <laughs> the message of Jesus Christ. This is what we emphasize. Second thing, we preach God's word. Let Christ mediate his rule through the word. This is not what I said. This is not what I thought of. This is what the word of God says. This is what Jesus is preaching to us. This is what Jesus is telling us how to think. This is Jesus warning us. This is Jesus telling us how he's going to build the church. Let the head rule. Third thing, let's approach the sacraments in a serious and worthy manner. That's why I, I don't know if he felt it or not, but whenever we take communion, there's a very serious tone to this. If there's any sin in our lives, let's repent before we come to the Lord's table. If there's any uh, division amongst one another, let's reconcile those things before coming to the Lord's table. This is taking communion in a worthy manner. Fourthly, let's have a serious approach to holiness. Serious and loving approach to holiness. Remember, this is Christ's body. He's the head. We're part of his body. We need to represent the head. Christ desperately cares for the holiness of his church. Absolutely. Next week, we'll spend a whole sermon out of Matthew 18 talking about church discipline. We call it at Evergreen Church Restoration because we're in the restoration business. Amen? We all need restoration. We all need help. We all need this help. That's out of Matthew 18 next week. But let me just finish up here. All right. Itsuko. I'm going to finish up with Sister Itsuko. You know what Itsuko shared with me? I think it's okay. I shared this with you. I think she'll be okay. You know what she shared with me? She whispered in my ear. Keep taking us deeper into the word, Pastor. Go deeper into the word. Thank you for going deeper into the word. 
keep challenging our church. This is a good thing. This 102-year-old Itzko, one of our pillars, speaking incredible wisdom to me, incredible encouragement in a way that, that, that fills me up. Keep challenging our church. And then she exhorted me to be faithful. Just be faithful. I'm like, wow. That's our sister talking to all of us. Let's go deeper into the word. Let's go deeper into the word. Let's start building our lives deeper into the bedrock of truth. Let's keep challenging each other to live in holiness, to be faithful to our Lord, to take our Christian walk seriously. And let's exhort each other to be faithful to the head. This is what we're called to do. Let me just finish off with reading our bulletin. This, was, this is the bulletin that uh, Sister Irene helped build, and here's a graphic of it uh, on the slide, but I'm just going to read it for us. This is what we wrote before the transition here and what Evergreen is about. The church family at Evergreen SGV is all about Jesus Christ, the Lord. Our primary desire is to love Christ as the greatest treasure of our lives and to become more like him. The Bible is a sufficient, inerrant, and authoritative word of God, and it is, the found, it is foundational to the life of the church. Foundational to the life of the church. The Bible is God's means to give us the clearest picture of Christ and to become formed into his image. This is what Pastor Dan read for us last week out of Colossians 1.28. This guides me. This is my philosophy of ministry by Paul. We proclaim him. We preach Christ. Admonishing every man, warning every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom, feeding, feeding, feed the sheep, Jesus said to Peter, so that we may present every man, woman, and child, every man, woman, and child complete in Christ. That's just talking about holiness. Complete in Christ means we look more like him. That means we're holier every day. Rest assured, church family, Jesus is building his church. He is. It's amazing. It's the most amazing time to be part of Evergreen Ashley. He's doing some incredible things. Let's just be faithful. And it's all right here in the book here, in the Bible. God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for your promise to build your church. When it looks crazy, when the world looks like it's coming more and more undone, when, the, when insanity seems to be ruling our nations and our, and our culture, Jesus, you say, settle down. Remember my promise. I'm building my church. I thank you for this promise, Lord. Help us to be faithful here at Evergreen SGV. Help us to be content in letting you rule through your word. Jesus, you're the head of the church. You bought this church with your precious blood. You sacrificed for this church. You love this church. You wash your church with the word. Help us to get full cleansing through your word, Lord, in our sanctification. We know we are justified before you already. But, Lord, we're, we want to be sanctified. We want to be more holy like you. So, Jesus, thank you that you say, I will build my church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.